If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we, uh, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together, to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Cyrus and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them, safe, keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and, Simon, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Man, I could tell when you guys walked in here, you were so, so excited because you, you saw Jerron over there, and you're like, oh, cool, he's preaching, but he's not just a gift. He's, he's, uh, he's not just a guest speaker. He's family. That's why he's here. And his wife, Chelsea, who just got back from Nepal serving our churches over there. Can we just welcome these guys in particular? It's great to have them. And all those that are joining with us for Mobilize as well, so glad that you're here. Um, we're going to continue in our series uh, in the book of Acts. We have one more after this uh, that'll happen here in, in a couple of weeks. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I tried out for a basketball team, and our coach was looking for guys who were tall and fast 
and I was short and slow. I was not qualified. Um, when I was applying for colleges, there was a college I really wanted to get into, uh, but it required a GAPA that I didn't have, an ACT score that I could not get, an involvement I did not achieve. I was not qualified. And then after I graduated that school, down in the halls of the business school, you could see all these companies with all these job openings with their requirements. And I would walk through the halls and think, okay, not me, not me, not me, not me, not qualified. There, there was a type of person that my basketball coach was, well, it wasn't my basketball coach, I should say, uh, the, the, the basketball coach was looking for, and I wasn't it. Right? There, there was a type of person that the college was looking for, and I wasn't it. There was a type of person that some of these companies were looking for, then I wasn't it. And we live in a world where there are some people who are in, and there are some people who are out, that some people are accepted, and some people are rejected. So consequently, we take that into our spiritual life, and we look at God, and we think, well, man, his standards are so high. Uh, there must be a type of person that he's after. I mean, Christianity works for this group of people, but it surely doesn't work for that group of people. Well, what we read today out of Acts 16, uh, it, it's a story of how the gospel reaches three very different people, very different people. And they are about as far apart as you can imagine, but God loves them all. God saves them all and God includes them all. So that's what we're going to learn. We're gonna, I'm going to introduce you to these three people and draw out some applications. But before I get into that, because it's just worth noting, especially in light of today with sending off of Dylan and Rebecca, is that the Holy Spirit-led mission of God was for Paul to keep planting churches city after city after city after city. It's critical for us to do the same, to do this over and over and over and over again to plant more churches in more cities, plant new community groups in more locations and new parts of the metro. That as well, America has the fourth largest unchurched population in the world. In spite of the rise of the mega church, no county, no county, no county in America has a greater church population than it did 20 years ago. There are 60% fewer churches per 10,000 than there were 100 years ago. 80% of all churches are plateauing or declining. And the, as the age group gets younger and younger and younger, the stats get worse and worse and worse. And if you're one of those, like these kids these days, you just don't know that. Hey, that's on us. That's on us. The gospel moves geographically, but it also moves generationally. And if, if you are... The, someone who's like, man, I, I believe in the God. You have a responsibility, whether you're 60, 40, or 20, to tell the next generation. So don't, you 20-year-olds, don't feel like, okay, yeah, you're talking, you're getting it to the old guys now. That's no, you too. You've, you've got a few, some people underneath you that you could go and... That's why we're very, very serious, very, very serious about reaching, uh, about focusing on, among other things, the next generation, starting new churches, and starting new groups. Starts with a new group. Okay, so who are these three people? Well, the first person we meet is Lydia. Lydia is a woman from Thyatira, which is a very wealthy city in Asia Minor, which this is no joke. Uh, you know, this may even ruin it for you a little bit. The word Thyatira literally means White Castle. And it's like when you don't, <laughs> you don't really think of wealth when you think, I mean, there's not a lot of White Castles in Clayton, you know what I'm saying? And so like, um, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, like for the, for veg, I don't know if you're a vegetarian out there, but they, they have an impossible burger. At, you get plant-based 
uh, burgers, sliders at, at White Castle now. Um, which, to, to be honest with you, if you're a vegetarian, you could have always eaten at White Castle because they never had meat products before. So like, I don't know what that stuff was. The real announcement would be like, hey, we've got meat, we've got meat-based products. So anyway, anyway, I have nothing against White Castle. I don't know why. A woman from Thyatira, it was a wealthy city. She was, she, was, so she, uh, she was Asian. She was very cosmopolitan. She was very connected, very savvy. A winsome gatherer was able to persuade Paul. Paul wanted to, wanted to leave. And she's like, I, I want you to stick around and stay. And it was able to convince him. So she's a, a gatherer. She's winsome. She's a business owner. She's a seller. She owned her own business, uh, not just any business, but she sold purple garments, were very, very expensive, very, very high end. Uh, so she was a wealthy. She she hung around wealthy people. Uh, she made beautiful things for beautiful people. She was very successful. She was a three on the Enneagram. She was a capital A achiever. I mean, she was a winner, okay? Not only that, but she was very, um, she was a, called a God-fearer or a worshiper of God, God-fearer, depending on the translation, which was a technical term. It was a technical term, which meant that somebody who was born a Gentile, as she was, a Gentile, who had left paganism, and was now pursuing uh, the Jewish uh, God of the Old Testament. So she had, was, she had the sense of morality. She wasn't just self-disciplined and successful in business. She, had this, she was just a winner on all fronts. So how does the gospel come to her? Well, most of the time when Paul would go, almost exclusively really, when Paul would go to a city to plant a church, he would first go to the synagogue looking for the low-hanging fruit. And uh, there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi be probably because there wasn't enough Jewish people to have a synagogue. So he supposed that there may be some people down by the river. So I can't help but think that Chris Farley every time I say that. But um, <laughs> man down by the river. And uh, let's go start me a church. And so we, uh, he goes down and he, and he finds Lydia. I know I'm like not making Lydia. I'm White Castle and Chris Farley. And like, it's not, it's not that. It's way over here. Okay. Um, but he, he comes and he finds, he finds a women's Bible study, a, a women's prayer meeting. And it says he sat down. He wasn't standing up. So he wasn't like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this emotive service you know, with lights and guitars and, and you know, microphones. But he sat down and he had a give and take conversation. He, it was persuasion. It was persuasion. And it says the Lord opened her heart to respond, which means it's a, it's a word that means to be attracted to. It means that what Paul was saying was not just, uh, it wasn't just that he, she believed it, it's that she found it to be attractive. And, and, and I could see why, because if she had left paganism, if she left you know, polytheism, she left the, the Gentile gods, um, she, you know, in Acts 17, you read about the two different schools of thought. There was stoicism, which is exactly the way it sounds, stoic, very unemotional. In fact, they would say things like this, like when you're hugging your child, every time you hug your child, you need to remind yourself that you're both are going to die soon. So there's not an attachment. I know it's amazing. He's like, I can't believe there's not more Stoics. And so we, but on the other hand, they had Epicureans were kind of on the opposite end. They were like, hey, tomorrow we die. So let's live, you know, eat, drink and be merry. Um, and so they're kind of different, but they're actually very the same because they were both a pursuit of self. They were both pursuit of self. And, um, and so they found, she found the philosophy of pursuing self to be empty, but now she was pursuing Judaism. She was pursuing the Old Testament. She was pursuing these she's laws, and she, was, she couldn't 
quite know what to do with it because she saw the burden of God, but she hadn't yet saw the beauty of God. But what Jesus, when, when Paul came through and started talking to him about Jesus, she'd be able to see the beauty of the gospel and it persuaded her. She thought, this isn't really religion because you're, not sa- you're saved by grace apart from performance, but it's not really irreligion because it's not pursuing the emptiness of self. Uh, it's neither, it's neither, but it's everything that I ever wanted. In other words, she didn't just believe the gospel. She was absolutely attracted to it. She was a woman who sold beautiful clothes to beautiful people, but she'd never seen a beauty like this. And through this give and take persuasion, this conversation, she was persuaded and she, she gave her life to Christ and was baptized. Not only that, she made her home a ministry center where the church would be planted. A few observations before the next person. Number one, it's discussion over the scriptures is very important. Some people call that apologetics, but to, to, to give people time to, to hear and to persuade. It's why we, we gather in, in groups called community groups to study the word and, to, and, to, and, to, and it's okay to doubt and to not be sure because we're, we're wanting to learn and this is, it's, we need to be persuaded. Secondly, uh, cannot underestimate the importance of opening your home. This is not an overstatement, but the history of the world has been changed by Christians who've been willing to open up their home. Opening up your home, hospitality is life-changing. It's world-changing. It's costly. It's inconvenient. It's all of those things but it will, it will change the world. That's why Peter said to his churches, he said, do hospitality without grumbling or complaining. Why might you grumble or complain when you open up your home? Because people spill stuff and it's inconvenient and you, gotta, you had a long day and now you got to clean up the house and da, 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 all the stuff it is, all the stuff that would make you want to grumble and complain. So he's like, do that without grumbling. So opening up your home is hugely important. Thirdly, the importance of women. So Paul has a negative reputation as being against women, uh, but it's not really the case once you get past a surface reading of the Bible. Uh, So Paul was living in a culture that no doubt about it, where women were very oppressed and treated as property, but he empowered them. Oftentimes you'd read in the letters that he's mentioning women by name as partners in the gospel. And when he comes to when he comes to Philippi, the reason why he came to Philippi is because he had a dream. We didn't read this part, but it's kind of a cool part. And he has a dream, and in his dream is this man from Macedonia. He says, will you come over and help us? Well, guess who he didn't see when he came over to Philippi? The man from Macedonia. He never shows up. But he encounters a group of women having a Bible study. When he doesn't say, oh, there's just a bunch of women here. What can you do with a bunch of women? He doesn't do that. He would have done that if he would have been following the culture, but he wasn't following the culture. He was following the spirit. And he started this group. He, he, he talked to the gospel to a group of, not just lady, but to a group of women. Um, this core group started with this group of Lydia and her friends in her home. And that's where we get started. That Paul saw them as being important. Um, then because of that, he moves on. After he spends some time with Lydia and her crew, he meets a slave girl. What do we know about the slave girl? Well, it's the word here for girl is very specific. It means damsel or young girl, a teenager, not more than 10 or 15 years old. Her parents must have sold her, so she was rejected by her family. She was economically 
oppressed, exploited for what she could produce, but rejected for who she was. Modern day terms, she would have been in the inner city, um, you know, a drug addicted prostitute, um, being sold by her pimps, sold into that by her parents. It says that she had a spirit of divination, divination on her, which she's able to tell the future. Now the English uses that, but what the real translation is that she had the spirit of the python, which sounds cooler, but it's confusing because like, what does that mean? Well, this is what it means, the spirit of python. In Greek, it was a local term. Everyone in that culture would have known about this oracle of Delphi, this oracle of Delphi. He was very accurate in his fortune telling. And the way that tradition goes that he had slain a great dragon or a great snake called the python, which gave him his power. So it was a local expression. If someone had the spirit of the python, they were very, very accurate in their fortune telling, which is why she made a lot of money for her masters. This is also where we get the term ventriloquist, um, another voice being used because she would speak in lots of voices. She would have a girl voice, but then all of a sudden she'd have a deep man voice. If I had a deep one, I'd show you. Um, <laughs> if you're thinking like Linda Blair from The Exorcist, I mean, that's, that's, you're right. That's what it, who she was. And um, a class of people that was so tormented from the inside, you would have felt sorry for them, except they were quite loud, a bit intimidated, intimidating, uh, very so, uh, awkwardly, very so- socially awkward, shrieking loudly through the streets. It says shouting, but the word really means shrieking. Very bizarre, except she had predictions that came true. That's why she was profitable. She had clairvoyant knowledge. Well, how does she hear the gospel? Well, she's following Paul and they're crying out and it says, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. I mean, she nails it, absolutely nails it. And, but you have to remind yourself too that this wasn't a culture that, that knew about Christianity or Judaism for that matter. There wasn't a synagogue. There wasn't very many Jewish or Christians around. So they, she wouldn't have been, she got this from there, so she got this from voices inside of her. Uh, she got this from demonic voices. And it's like, well, how can a demonic voice speak something so accurate about uh, of something of God? Well, it reminds me of James 2, what James 2 says. It says, even the demons believe and shudder. What does that mean? That, that means that the, that, the, that the devil knows more about the Bible than you do. The Bible has more accurate knowledge than you do. The difference is that he hates what he knows, does not obey what he knows, or worship over what he knows. Uh, just as a side, we talked about this this week, we talked about the Pharisees who were these religious people who, were, who did not have the heart of God. They had the Old Testament memorized. They had Bible knowledge but they did not obey or worship over what they knew. And so you could have very accurate knowledge. Unless you obey and worship over it, it's not a prophet because the devil's able to do it. So what does Paul do? Paul being very annoyed, which is kind of like an apologetic that the Bible's true. It doesn't say, and, and Paul filled with compassion, said, come out of this woman. So he's like annoyed. All right, so the only reason why you would say that about the hero, the supposed hero of the story is if it actually happened, but they just kind of wrote it down. Why did he do it? Was he full of compassion? No. Did he love? No. He was annoyed. That's why he did. 
Um, and he says, in the name of Jesus, the name was your nature. And he says, in Jesus' name, Jesus' name is greater than you. Get out of this girl. And that demon left. A demon left uh, because now the, the owners were not making any more money. A couple observations. The power of, re- the, 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 the spirit of rejection is real and powerful in your life. Some of us have been rejected when we were younger by people who loved us. And in a very American way, we'll get through it. Except you're underestimating, you're underestimating the power that that has in your life. Ephesians 2 says that we have three enemies of spiritual life. There, there are spiritual, there is, there is the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's the world, there's the systems of the way the world does things. It's why people aren't nice. It's, it's under the sway of sin. There's evil out there, out there, out there. And then there's evil in here. There's the flesh, that part of you that is not submitted to God. That is, that is an enemy of you. And then there is el diablo. There is the devil. There is Satan. They're all working against you. Now, if I took a poll in this room, you'd probably relate to one of the three, maybe two of the three, but very few people relate to all three. The all three very real. Yeah, yeah, you are, you do have sin in you. You, there is evil in you. There is evil in the world. And there is evil in principalities and forces that aren't natural. The evil that was in her was not natural. It was supernatural. And it's important that we identify, that we understand all three. And don't just think, hey, the world's a problem, but like, you know, I'm okay. And, you know, who's, you know, devil, that's crazy talk. Or we overrelate to the devil, like the devil does everything. No, I don't think so. Like, he didn't show up late. You showed up late. Like he didn't tell that lie. You told that lie. So that's what happened. So she, she does this and she gets, Lydia was a suburban wonder woman who was connected, savvy, you know, can leap over a huge business deal in a single bound. And she was that. And she needed persuasion. This girl right here, you could have, you could have talked to her for 20 years and got nowhere. She needed power. She needed power. And that means that some of us who want to minister to the slave girls that we meet, we have to be willing to deal in power. You're like, well, I can never pray. I can never pray for someone like that. I can never pray and see that kind of power happen. You know, I, I'm, I'm not good enough. to. Well, the good news, the good news is you're not going to be praying in, in like your name. You'll be praying in Jesus' name. Paul didn't say, hey, in, in the name of Paul, get out. In the name of Jesus. So Lydia needed persuasion, a rational Bible study. This girl needed power. And then because this was released, the masters of this slave girl, they got upset because they're not making money anymore. Not making any money anymore. The the demons that were inside of her torturing her were out of her now. They got upset. So they took Paul and Silas to the authorities and had them flogged, which means they were beaten with rods, bloody, broken bones, especially in the rib area, no trial. And that's where we meet the Roman jailer in verse 23. Who was the Roman jailer? Well, he was ex-military. So Roman soldiers, they served when they were young and when they got to be in their 40s and 50s, their pension was that they got job as a prison guard because they would have understood weapons. They would have understood self-defense. They know how to keep people in prison. Blue collar, tough, mac and cheese, Miller Lite kind of guy, uh, you know, playing cornhole in the union. Uh, they couldn't name you one politician, but they know everybody on the blues team. I mean, this is like this guy. 
totally indifferent, totally indifferent, brutal person. Verse 24, he was told to put him in prison, but he took it a step further. Just for fun, I'll put them in the inner cell where there is no light and there is no air. And not only that, I'm not gonna bandage their wounds. I'm gonna put their feet in stocks, which don't think like Disneyland where you can get a little selfie you know, with whoever in the stocks. Think this is a position of torture where your hands and feet were stretched out uh, in very uncomfortable positions, especially when your ribs are broken. This was a very, he just piled, he wasn't asked to do this. He's like, I'm just gonna pile it on. Needless to say, he could care less about Paul. He could care less about his little Bible study. I mean, Lydia was at a prayer meeting. I mean, that was like fish in a barrel. I mean, that was kind of low-hanging fruit. I mean, even Lydia, I mean, big problems, but man, once she was delivered, of course she may be interested, but how do you get through to Roman jailers? Well, Paul could not get through to this guy with the words of the gospel. He first had to reach him with the deeds of the gospel. And the jailer sees two things. He, he sees joy and peace. Uh, he sees joy and peace in the, in the midst of suffering. So they're praying and they're singing and the other prisoners are amazed because they're, they're, they're not like singing the blues and like, you know, you know, nobody knows. Like they're not singing that song. I mean, they're singing like the new Confluence album or the, or the Kanye album. Like either like they're, 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 they're in, they're worshiping. And in the face of cruelty, they, he sees kindness and forgiveness. The jailer was very, very cruel to Paul and Silas. And the prison doors open, chains fall off. Jailer assumes, like we all would, that they're just hightailing it. And he's getting ready to kill himself because he knows that the, the price for losing all the prisoners was you would get executed. And in a shame honor culture, they're like, it's more honorable if I take my life. So he's getting ready to take his life. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. So not just Paul and Silas, but somehow he's able to keep all the other prisoners there. He knows he didn't treat him well and they had every right, every opportunity to take revenge. Let me ask you a question, Christians. Who opened the door? God opened the door, did he not? Chains fell off, doors open. I mean, this, in all the history of God opening doors, this is like the top of the list. I mean, this is like God opened a serious door. I mean, he blew it open. Not, I mean, this is God opening. Was it God's will that Paul walked through that door? Well, wait a minute. I thought, I thought like if God opens a door, I'm supposed to walk through it. Because isn't that what we do? Like, it, it, God opened a job opportunity. If I'm supposed to, God opened the door. I'm supposed to walk in. There's a relationship. God opened the door. I'm supposed to be in that relationship. God opened the door over here. I'm supposed to go do that. Really? God opened the door to unjust imprisonment, but God did not want him to walk through. Well, how do you know? How do you know? <laughs> Are you supposed to know, God? You know, like if, if you know, I just, it's a door open, I'm supposed to walk through it, right? Well, how do you know? Well, here's how you know. You listen. You listen to what God says. I'll say it this way. I, I have an iPhone, and, and on my iPhone is, how many iPhone users do we have? How many, how many have like the other kind of phone? <laughs> you know what? Isn't it funny? You're all so happy about it. Like, I don't... <laughs> 
Like, there's something, like, I, yeah, I have an iPhone. Other people, like, I guess we don't know what we're missing, or maybe we're just too afraid to change. I don't know what it is. But on the i, I don't know what you have. I don't know what it's called you have. But on on the iPhone, it's it's Siri, it's Siri, right? And here and this is how it works. There's something called voice print technology, voice print technology, which means that Siri, the way Siri works, is it gets used to uh, what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, and kind of anticipates what I need and gets better and better and better at it. So, for example, I could just say I could say Siri, call Rachel. And Ray, my, name, my wife's name's Rachel, and we'll call my wife, Rachel. I don't have to say call Rachel Mowry. I just say call Rachel and knows to call Rachel. Now, I have, we know more than one Rachel. I have four different Rachels on my phone. And if I said call Rachel and Siri said which one, I wouldn't be married uh, <laughs> because of voice print technology. Because what, what it does, it, it gets used to your patterns. It gets used to the way you're doing things. It begins to understand what you want and what you think is important. So it anticipates what you're after. And what the Bible says is that that's the way it's supposed to be with you and God. That you get to understand his pattern, his ways, and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're understanding how he works. So when he speaks, you know his voice. And that, in fact, that's exactly what he says in John 10, 4. When he, the shepherd, has brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. They don't have to say, they don't have to be like God. You know, they know his voice. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. It's amazing. I know there's probably not a lot of shepherds here, but if you were to like Google that or see it on YouTube, it, there'll be a group of sheep with multiple shepherds and their, and their flocks all together hanging out. One shepherd will whistle and like as it's time to go. And it's amazing. Those sheep know exactly what that voice sounds like. They know the voice that leads them. They know the voice that feeds them. Do you know the voice that feeds you, that leads you? That's how you know. Paul knew Paul knew that what God wants for my life isn't comfort and security primarily. He's not, he's not, he, he's not, he's, the thing he wants in my life is, you know, just, you know, that I would be comfortable, that I would have, you know, a good paying, not so hardworking job, that I, that I'd have a, a good relationship and all my kids would do well and I'd be healthy and all, like, that he knew that God's ultimate for his life was not to even get out of prison in his place of suffering that God had a purpose. And that purpose was that Roman jailer. Paul knew that if he was to leave, he would miss out on his purpose because he knew the ways of God and he knew the voice of God. You could, top 10 things, top 10 mistakes that Christians make. Number one, open door means that's what God wants. You can take that, crumble it up and throw it away because it's not true. It's just not true. There are some doors that are open that you do not walk through, and there's some doors that are closed that you need to kick open. And so the jailer was there. He needed to experience the gospel. And what he experienced was mercy. The merciless experienced mercy. The unkind experienced kindness, and they were forgiven, which was absolutely amazing. Um, Several years ago, in an Amish community in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in a one-room schoolhouse. Five little girls, all aged between 7 and 13, were, were shot and killed in this Amish community. 
And the Amish community that very night went to the home of the parents of the shooter and said, we've lost children. You've lost a child. We're here for you. We want to support you. We want to love you. And at the funeral, at the funeral of the shooter, it was filled with Amish people. And, and sociologists and people are like, what is going on here? And, and there was an article written, not called Amazing Grace, but Amish Grace. And this is what they concluded. They believe in a savior. This is what they, this is not me. This is what they said. They believe in a savior who died forgiving his enemies. No other religion has as its central principle a man dying for his enemies. That's why they were able to forgive. And they called it an act of self-renunciation. An act of self-renunciation. We live in a culture of self-assertion. Every child is told, you assert yourself. You do you. You fight for your rights. You assert for what is yours. Somebody's taking something from you. You get out there and you push back. Self-assertion. But the gospel says the meaning of life is to deny yourself. And that's what Paul and Silas did. And it cut the Roman jailer to the heart. He's like, I'm, I'm this big burly man. I got rippling muscles, but I don't, have that, I don't have that strength inside of me. Which is why he falls to his knees and says, what must I do to be saved. I saw the way that you handled suffering. I saw the way that you handled injustice. What must I do to be saved? And then he got a great lesson. Now he's ready to hear the gospel. You don't do anything. You believe. You believe. In other words, salvation is not earned, but it's received. And that's what happened. Him and his whole household, they were baptized. So what do you got here? You got three very different people. You've got Lydia, slave girl, Roman jailer, very racially different. Asian, Greek, Roman. Okay, so it was an obvious woman, woman, man. Economically different, upper class, lower class, somewhere in the middle. Socially, social insider, social outsider, someone who could care less, someone who doesn't have a Facebook account, someone doesn't, just doesn't, doesn't pay attention. He couldn't tell you, you know, he doesn't know, he doesn't know. Spiritual temperature, one was spiritually open, one was demonically hostile, one was agnostic. Rational, intuitive, concrete relationally, Gentle, mental, brutal. As different as three people could be, were they? What does this mean? This means that everybody needs the gospel. The gospel is for everyone and everyone needs. There is no Christian type. There is no group that's automatically in and there is no group that is automatically out. It's the most unifying power on the face of the earth. And we see this really clearly at the very end where we didn't read this part, but it's in verse 40 where Paul goes to Lydia's house and says that he goes and strengthens the brothers. And the word there really is brethren, which means the, the community that's there, the church, the family. So here you have a church filled with Lydia's and her type. You have slave girls and her type. And you have Roman jailers and his type. All not individually saved. Yes, they are individually saved, 
They've come together and they were a family. And they became a family that, that Paul would, would, and later on in, in Philippians, as you read that, Philippians is a book about joy and the gospel. What the, it says in, in Ephesians, excuse me, in Philippians 2.14, that, you're meant to, that, we, that you pop out like lights amongst a crooked generation. And that's what God wants for us. This Philippian church made up of Lydia's, slave girls, Roman jailers, they were together as family, popping out like lights among a crooked generation. The gospel was beautiful enough for Lydia. It was powerful enough for the slave girl. And it was practical enough for the Roman jailer. And we are a church of Lydia's, of slave girls, of Roman jailers, seeking to reach Lydia's, slave girls, Roman jailers. We're, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going for Lydia's. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna persuade. We're going to have discussion. We're going to come up with arguments. We're going we're gonna, to, apologetics, not argument, not yeah, arguments, but like talking. We're going to do what these things well. We're going to great, do the best we can with kids, best we can in greeting people, welcoming people. That's how you reach Lydia's. We're, but we're not just going to do that. We're also going to walk in power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be full of God. We're going to have the discernment to know that this isn't just a psychological, sociological problem. They don't just need to go to get help from the government. They don't just need a better counselor. They actually need prayer. And I'm going to pray for them and the power of God's going to come in them. And what, and what you couldn't do in 20 years of talking to them is going to happen in five minutes because you're going to meet their need. And then the Roman jailers, it's going to require us to forgive people like we've never forgiven. There's going to be a moment where, where someone's going to do something or they maybe have already done it that hurts you so bad, but you're going to forgive them. And it's going to break through their hard agnostic exterior. There's going to be a moment, I don't know when this is going to happen, but some, some of us in the room are going to be in a place where we are going to suffer. In the midst of that suffering, we're not going to cry out in an act of self-assertion. We're going to cry out in an act of self-renunciation. And people are going to see the peace and joy in the midst of that suffering. And that's how we're going to reach Roman jailers. And to do all of that, we need God's help. There's a world out there that's looking for community who doesn't project one type of person, but it communicates the gospel. That's for all types of people. Why don't we stand?